This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Father Richard Kunst coming to you from the Diocese of Duluth, and my my sit-in, stand-in co-host is Hilary Hauer, and we are now about to have a conversation with Jason Atkins, who is the Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholics Conference. Did I say that correctly? Anyhow, so tell us, Jason, tell us a little bit about your uh, what you do as your role as Executive Director of Minnesota Catholic Conference. So the Minnesota Catholic Conference is not an event. It is the Conference of Bishops. And so the bishops of Minnesota gathered together to discuss important matters of common interest to all the dioceses, and one of the most important of those is public policy matters. So our staff here uh, work to bring the bishops' legislative initiatives to the state capitol and to our congressional representatives, and then help them make contact with our elected officials and talk about important issues that promote human dignity and protect the common good here in Minnesota. And then we also help uh, lay Catholics be faithful citizens and live that call to faithful citizenship and help amplify the voice of the bishops in the public square by connecting them with their legislators through our Catholic advocacy networks. So it's really public policy focused. Very important work, very important work, especially in the state of Minnesota when we have the leading, uh, the party that leads everything in the state of Minnesota, very contrary to a lot of things that we stand for. So the thing that's got to be an extra challenge for you in your role, but the big, the big bill coming up right now is the whole physician, physician-assisted suicide. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yes, our our role and responsibility is always to work with elected officials in both parties to find common ground for the common good. Not every issue lines up along strict partisan lines one way or another. And in one example, that is physician-assisted suicide, uh, where we have a are part of a broad coalition called the Alliance for Ethical Healthcare, uh, made up of doctors, healthcare advocates, people concerned about disparities uh, in healthcare delivery, veterans groups, disability groups, all opposing assisted suicide and instead promoting better health care. In the state with some of the best health care in the country, let alone perhaps even the world, we should be promoting better care, finding better ways to care for one another, and not hastening death through assisted suicide. And what that legislation would do is it would require doctors and healthcare professionals who work with terminal, uh, nurse practitioners who work with terminally ill patients to offer them the option of receiving a lethal dose of drugs, and then they would take those home and ingest those and that would be what we call assisted suicide. And it really is coercive, of course, on the role of healthcare professionals. It turns the healing profession into uh, one that hastens death. And we think that protecting the supposed choices of some who want assisted suicide will actually end up endangering the healthcare choices of all the rest of us. When care is expensive and killing is cheap, which do we think will prevail? So we are deeply concerned about the potential legalization of physician-assisted suicide, but I am pleased to report that the opposition to this is strong and it is bipartisan. So we are grateful for that. Um, Jason, you know, I I took some time to read through this bill, and and I've got to say there's layers upon layers upon layers. Can you explain, I guess this is a twofold question, number one, the importance of truly understanding all of the layers that are within this bill, and also how those layers could actually open the door um, to this bill being expanded beyond this original version at some point in time, meaning um, questions like what does terminal mean, or who, what does attending provider mean, and, and all of these layers. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah, obviously with such a dangerous policy proposal, uh, legislators want to make sure and people want the public wants to make sure that, of course, there are quote-unquote safeguards in place uh, to protect against things such as elder abuse. Uh, for example. And so proponents of this legislation will say, oh, well, we've put in all these safeguards uh, to make sure that, um, you know, there's informed consent and that there's not going to be issues of abuse and things like that. But there are actually very, very few safeguards. And then what we see uh, in place after place where it's legal is once it's legalized, the proponents go back and try to remove the safeguards to promote access. The other potential danger of assisted suicide legislation is that it starts with a narrower population of eligible persons. In this case, people with a terminal diagnosis, meaning they have fewer than six months to live, but as we've seen in over places over and over, including our neighbor to the north in Canada, the eligible populations gradually expand. Uh, Canada just put on hold a uh, change in their law, for example, that was supposed to go into effect March 21st that would allow people with mental illness to be eligible to receive assisted suicide, which I think just on the face of it, most would find horrific. But ever since there, there was legalization of assisted suicide in Canada in 2016, the group of eligible populations has continued to expand. There's even now in, volu- in places like uh, Belgium, there's now even involuntary euthanasia of children, minors if the parents consent. So it's really a slippery slope that's not just a slope, but really a cliff. And it's very dangerous, but you're right in pointing out that we need to understand what safeguards are there and what safeguards are not there, and then how the eligible populations will eventually expand. There's no way that we, we and let me put it this way, we would be naive to think that this is going to be limited only to terminal patients going forward if it, the, if it were legalized here in Minnesota. I think that wow. evil, I think the evil twists its ways to its own purposes. That's, I, and I, I, I just, I sit back as the priest and I think to myself, this is demonic. You know, I mean, especially how you talk about the slippery slope and how this, how this expands. And it's like, we're death. You know, it's with John Paul II, the whole party, you know, the, the whole, you know, culture of death thing is so rampant here. Let me ask you this specifically is, is does this bill allow for, as it's being proposed right now, a conscience clause? What if you're a faithful Catholic doctor or working in the medical field and this bill gets passed i mean where is that so in terms of conscience clauses doctors and nurse practitioners do not have to prescribe the lethal dose of drugs nor do they have to be participants as part of the attending physicians or the confirming physicians or healthcare providers um, nor do pharmacists are they required to pres- or to um, d- administer the prescription themselves but what's challenging and troubling is that it, in, under this law, the legal standard of care in Minnesota will be that all nurse practitioners and doctors who work with terminal patients will be required to offer them as, this, as a treatment option. So that will be part of the standard of care. So even if you don't actually prescribe, you will be compelled uh, to offer this as one treatment option and give the patient information about this. Of course, we know that we don't live in a system with family doctors anymore and you only see one doctor. You are typically um, dealing with care t- a care team and care professionals. So will patients who have terminal diagnoses, which we know are often uh, people outlive them, they're not often accurate. We know people who've been in and out of hospice care. So that is even uh, tenuous. But the reality is, is that doctors might have been, patients might be in the position where doctors are continually coming into their uh, room or into an appointment and offering them assisted suicide. How is that not going to be coercive 
on the patient. Are people feeling going to feel like the quote-unquote right to die is going to become the duty to die with people reminding them that they have this option all the time to end themselves. So it's deeply troubling. It's going to sow mistrust between patient and doctor, and it's going to turn uh, the healthcare profession, which is about restoration and healing, on its head and make them agents of death. And that's why so many doctors and healthcare practitioners are proactively speaking out against this troubling bill. You know, um, Jason, I, this, I might be wrong here, but is it 10 states plus Washington, D.C. allow physician-assisted yes, suicide? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I'm just curious if there's any language or talk within um, the committee that just happened that it passed the House Health Committee on January 25th about the view of suffering. You know, like how, how prevalent is the secular view of suffering and all of the discussions that are happening um, in these committees? Well, I think it's important to note that suffer and pain and fear of pain and pain management is not the primary reason why people choose assisted suicide in other states. Um, it's fear of being a burden. Um, it's fear of losing autonomy. And in fact, it says a lot about persons with disabilities um, that, you know, people who live dependent on others, their lives are supposedly not worth living. And that's why persons with disabilities are concerned about this and why they feel acutely the way in which this law will shape the morality of our society and our culture is that people who will lead supposedly undignified lives if they're dependent on others are going to have this option of ending their life. What does that say about the lives of others who are dependent on people for their day-to-day life? And that's why some of our strongest advocates are those with disability, people with disability and those who care for them. So it's really, really troubling from that, Im- from that perspective and that impact. I think one, there is, there's one misconception, though, that also needs to be put to bed, that the Catholic position or the opposition to assisted suicide is not rooted in this idea that we have to prolong life at all costs. Everyone has the right to receive and refuse health care. We don't have to be hooked up to every extraordinary treatment, and that's basic Catholic teaching around end-of-life care. But we are the stewards of the gift of life and have to respect that and treat our bodies and preserve our health within reasonable limitations. And so we don't have to go on and prolong suffering. You can uh, cease receiving, withdraw, or withhold certain types of care. And we have tools that can help us manage these decisions and these challenges at the end of life. That's why at the Minnesota Catholic Conference at our website, mncatholic.org, we talk about, we offer a guide to end-of-life decision-making and also a health care directive so you can have assign someone uh, as a health care agent or put out through an advanced directive your wishes about how you wish to receive end-of-life care consistent with Catholic teaching and sound ethical principles. So it's really important that it's not a question of do we prolong life at all costs or do we hasten death to end suffering. It's really about how do we steward our gift of life effectively with ethical principles in light of the Church's teaching, in light of the fact that we are not the authors and ultimate authorities about when life begins and when life ends. Jason, in 45 seconds that we have left, say what our listeners can do to get involved. you got about 38 seconds. MNCatholic.org is our website, MNCatholic.org. You can join the Catholic Advocacy Network to be updated on important issues. And with a click of the button, uh, take action and, and send a message to your legislators. People who want to know more about the assisted suicide legislation, our broad coalition can go to ethicalcaremn.org. That's ethicalcaremn.org. That is the broad and diverse bipartisan alliance for ethical health care. There's all sorts of resources and information about the assisted suicide issue and ways people can get informed and they can get involved. Again, that's at ethicalcaremn.org.
Thank you very much, Jason. You're doing God's work. Keep it up. We need you here in the state of Minnesota. After this quick break, we will go on to Jason's colleague on the side of South Dakota in the same position, Michael Pauley. Stay with us. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Di Filippis of St. Luke Productions. What the Magi Learned Going into the house, the Magi saw the child. Outwardly, their journey was now over. But at this point, a new journey began for them, which changed their whole lives. Deep within themselves, they felt prompted to go in search of the true justice that can only come from God, and they wanted to serve this king, to fall prostrate at his feet, and to play their part in the renewal of the world. This was where their inner journey began. It started at the very moment when they knelt down before this child and recognized him as the promised king. But they still had to assimilate these joyful gestures internally. They had to change their ideas about power, about God and about man, and in so doing, they also had to change themselves. They had to learn to give themselves. No lesser gift would be sufficient for this king. But they had to learn that their lives must be conformed to this divine way of exercising power, to God's own way of being. They must become men of truth, of justice, of goodness, of forgiveness, of mercy. They will have to ask, how can I serve God's presence in the world? They must learn to lose their life and in this way to find it. Having left Jerusalem behind, they must not deviate from the path marked out by the true King as they follow Jesus. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. You are indeed listening to Real Presence Live. This is Father Richard Kunst along with... Hillary Howard. As my co-host, subbing in for Cindy this time. And uh, we just, uh, we're going to be talking to Michael Pauly here, who is the South Dakota... Uh, uh, equal to Jason Atkins in Minnesota. We just talked to Jason Atkins just asked for one plug before he went off the air. On first Fridays, we have adoration at the state capitol in the governor's dining room from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Every first Friday in the state capitol, we have adoration. If that continues, the state will change for the better. So we need more people to, to adore our blessed Lord in the craziness that is state politics in the state of Minnesota. Michael Pauly, welcome to Real Presence Radio and Live. Great to, great to be with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your role as executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference? 
Sure. Well, I, I was uh, stuck in a committee hearing just a few minutes ago, and so I, I didn't have a chance to, uh, you know, to listen to your interview with Jason. But, but basically, I, I am the Jason for South Dakota. Uh, the South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on public policy matters uh, in the legislature. Uh, this is only my second session doing this job, so you know, there's still a a steep learning curve, but uh, it's a very, very gratifying work to be representing the church in the public square. It is pretty it's pretty cool to have that role. There's no doubt about it, especially if you've got an interest in politics. It's always been something that's been fascinating to me. But, I, you know, from a guy that's just like a, like a, a watches the evening news and kind of uh, sees what the politics is, is in general, I would suspect from, you know, the Catholic Church is not partisan, but I'd suspect that from a Catholic perspective that your job in South Dakota might be a little bit more boring than the whole Minnesota side of things. Uh, well, no, I I wouldn't say boring. It's just different. Uh, you know, in, in a state like Minnesota, uh, and, and I know this because I used to live in uh, Washington State, which has some very similar oh, yeah. politics to Minnesota, uh, you define success in a state like Minnesota usually by trying to stop uh, uh, evil things <laughs> from, right. from being enacted into law, whereas here in South Dakota, we're uh, typically, you know, we're more often uh, engaged in trying to actually get good policy passed. Uh, but, you know, I, I argue that either way you look at it, you're, you're helping build the kingdom. I mean, I always go back to when people say, uh, you know, politics is dirty. You know, why should I as a Catholic, uh, you know, be involved in something that's so, you know, slimy as politics? And I always remind people of what we pray every Sunday in Mass and the Lord's Prayer uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, when Jesus said that, he, he didn't insert a bunch of excluding clauses like, you know, thy will be done, but not in uh, politics. Thy will be done, but not on Madison Avenue or in Hollywood or in the corporate boardrooms of America. You know, we're, we're supposed to be uh, building the kingdom in, in all these sectors of life and being 11 in society. And uh, whether you're doing that in, in Minnesota by stopping you know, evil things, or you know, here in South Dakota, actually trying to get some some good laws enacted. Uh, it's all kingdom building. So, Michael, you've been in session for a few weeks now, and last week was the deadline to file personal bills. So, we know what's on the docket right now. So, can you share with us the good work that you'll be doing um, through sure. South Dakota? Sure. Sure. Well, we've, uh, out of the many hundreds of bills that have been filed uh, so far, the South Dakota Catholic Conference has taken a position uh, either in support of or in opposition to uh, eight different bills, and we, we obviously don't have time to go through all of them. Uh, but I, I do want to touch on one bill um, that was just resolved today. Uh, I uh, there was a meeting of the Senate uh, Commerce and Energy Committee to take up a bill, Senate Bill 192, which would expand gambling in the state of South Dakota. It would double the amount of money that people can spend on playing a video lottery machine. This is legislation that the Catholic Conference has opposed in the past. Uh, you know, Jason Adkins, by the way, has been a great leader on this issue in Minnesota. They've done excellent work trying to fight uh, the expansion of the gambling industry in Minnesota. But uh, anyway, I, I had written out testimony. We were getting ready to send out action alerts. I showed up at the hearing, which, like I said, was just about 20 minutes ago, and the sponsor walked forward and said, I withdraw my bill. Uh, so, you know, that is an example of, uh, again, I don't want to claim that that was entirely due to the South Dakota Catholic Conference. but I, I would if I were you, Michael. 
Holy I Spirit moment. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know. That was, I think that kind of hubris might be uh, uh, bordering on sin, but uh, we, worked <laughs> with, <laughs> we did work with a bunch of other uh, allied groups to make it, you know, plenty, you know, make it abundantly clear uh, that we would be, uh, you know, coming out in full opposition to this bill. And I, I'd like to think that that played some role in the decision of the sponsor to withdraw the bill. Uh, so that was just a tremendous victory, you know, to be able to win, you know, without even, um, you know, in a sense, having to roll up our sleeves. So uh, just an example about how, um, you know, this work is very valuable here. It's funny, you know, I was going to ask Jason, we didn't, we ran out of time, I was going to ask him if he feels hopeless considering the political situation in the state of Minnesota. I suspect, again, we've already talked about this a little bit, that you maybe don't have the f- same feel in, in that regards. Uh, more of a, do, do you have a sense of, have you have you ever done this kind of work before? Oh yes, certainly. I, I'm kind of a political animal. So okay. long, you know, before I came into this position, I worked as a political consultant and worked on uh, political campaigns, uh, grassroots advocacy uh, efforts for uh, generally for pro-life and pro-family advocacy organizations. So, so no, I've been even though I'm relatively new with the Catholic Conference, I've been doing this kind of work okay. pretty much my whole adult life. So, oh, that, that's yeah. Great. Yeah, I got I got a similar past. I actually worked in the U.S. Senate for a while. I have uh, the same love of politics, but more is on the federal level. But so, that, are you feeding your love for politics by staying in this position? It's a unique position. Uh, well, yeah, I, I it is a, it is a great position. It gives an opportunity to make a big difference. Uh, one of the issues that I've been able to work on, and in fact, this is a bill that's going to be heard in committee next week. Uh, is a bill that would require uh, websites that uh, have obscene content, you know, basically pornographic websites, that it's going to require those companies to have age verification systems installed on their websites so that nobody under the age of 18 uh, can either, you know, by accident or intentionally uh, stumble across that material. Uh, there have been eight states that have passed uh, similar laws, uh, Louisiana was the very first, but several other states have followed suit, like Montana and North Carolina and a couple of others. And so uh, we're going to try to get it done in South Dakota because pornography, you know, in addition to being a, you know, a, a grave sin, as the catechism points out, it's also just tremendously destructive to the social fabric of our society, particularly the yeah, particularly the young who become addicted to it. So. Uh, so that bill is going to be up in committee next week, and that bill is uh, House Bill uh, 1257, House Bill 1257. And so uh, I just encourage any of the listeners who are in South Dakota uh, to go to the legislative website, uh, sdlegislature.gov, and uh, find your uh your representatives in the state house and ask them to support uh, House Bill 1257. Um we we heard from Jason and also from you how important the work is of the state Catholic conferences and, and for doing the work for the good of the society, for the good of community. And can you talk about bipartisanship in that um, process? And also, um, secondarily to that question, do you have any upcoming elections that, that could potentially, you know, sway a vote one way or another in regard to... Uh, bills and legislation in South Dakota. Sure. 
Well, yeah, just real quick on bipartisanship. Uh, I, I was attending a meeting once of all of the uh, different state Catholic conference directors, and one of the state directors said that he gathers his staff before every legislative session, and he says, look, people, get this into your head. In the legislature, we do not have friends. We do not have enemies. All we have are potential allies. And I, I just love that expression because, and that's the, the attitude that I try to bring into the Capitol is that I don't come in here with a friends list or an enemies list because I find very often that somebody who is my friend on one issue is going to be my opponent on another issue and vice versa. And I, I think what that does for me is it, it, it helps, uh, uh, it helps incentivize civil discourse, because uh, you don't want to, in a sense, burn your bridges with any legislature, any individual legislator, because while they may be your opponent on one issue, you may be relying on that same legislator uh, to uh, to help you on a different issue. And so um, I try to just treat people as individuals and... Uh, and, and so that's, that's, that's my definition of bipartisanship, is uh, don't go by the party label, uh, just approach people as uh, individuals. And just remind me, the second part of your question. Any upcoming elections? Or well, uh, yeah. Seeking re-election or? Yeah, well, obviously the biggest election issue that we're concerned about is the potential ballot measure that would add a constitutional right to abortion uh, to the state constitution. And interestingly enough, we have a piece of legislation, House Concurrent Resolution uh, 6008, which is a resolution of the legislature expressing opposition to that abortion amendment, and that's going to be heard in committee tomorrow. Uh, So it's a very interesting resolution because uh, out of 70 members of the state house in South Dakota, 55, the vast majority, 55, have signed on as co-sponsors of this resolution, and 27 out of the 35 Senate members uh, have signed on to this resolution. So obviously it's going to pass, but we're just really pleased that such huge numbers of our legislators have all agreed to sponsor a resolution uh, stating their opposition to this proposed constitutional amendment on abortion. Very that, gratifying. And that is South Dakota compared to Minnesota right there in a nutshell. So <laughs> is, a, a quick question, quick question. Is there, is there going to be a, a, a vice president gnome in the near future? Well, you know, speculation runs rife in this building that that uh, <laughs> may be the case, but uh, I don't. I certainly don't have any inside information on it. But uh, oh, I'll just say that a lot of people talk about it here. <laughs> oh, I, I bet. Uh, how about uh, we have we have just under a minute, uh, Michael? Any last words you want to share with us? How people can get involved or anything like that? Sure. Well, I just always love to put in the plug that uh, if you're not. Um, uh, receiving emails from the South Dakota Catholic Conference, please visit our website. It's, it's a little bit long, but it's easy to remember. It's just SD, as in South Dakota, catholicconference.org. And if you go to that website, you could sign up to get emails, mo- monitor all the bills that we're working on. And we really just need more uh, lay Catholics to be willing to sort of adopt this as a ministry uh, to be engaged in the political issues that we're working on here. Great. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you very much, and keep up the good work, God's work. Thank you so God much bless. for having me. It's been a pleasure. God All bless. right. All right. We'll, uh, we'll continue uh, this show with a couple of um, uh, very holy gals that I know really well after this break. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, 
and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. The American Academy of Optometry recommends that all children receive eye exams every two years, beginning at six months old. As one of North Dakota's only fellowship-certified pediatric optometrists, it is my mission to ensure that children are screened for preventable eye conditions like lazy eyes, cataracts, and eye turns. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for children and adults, and you don't need vision insurance to book an appointment. You can schedule your appointment online at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. God's blessings to all of you today as you are listening to Real Presence Radio. This is Father Wilhelm, and I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo. What a wonderful gift and a grace that we have in our Holy Church is that we have a Holy Mother, Jesus' Mother, who loves us so very much, and she prays for us. Isn't it wonderful to have a mother on our side, a mother who prays for us, a mother who loves us as Christ as our brother? Then that means that Mary is truly our mother, our spiritual mother. And so as you pray that beautiful gift of the Hail Mary, let each of these prayers be as roses that is presented before her holy feet, and she brings our prayers and lays them before her son, Jesus, and all of us. Always listen to our mother. Listen to what our mother is asking you. Come to the Savior. Come to my Son. Come to Jesus Christ. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing.